think about this idea of what does faith look like? What does it mean to, to have faith to move forward? What does it mean to have faith to do what God calls us to do? There's a story about a man who wanted to climb a mountain in Argentina called the Aconacagua. It's a mountain about 28,000 feet in the air. It's considered one of the easier mountains to climb, according to those who do that for a living and professionally, to be honest with you. I have no desire to climb a mountain looking like that. I just don't. Thank you. Um, but what I've learned is that if you approach it from the north, it's an easier climb than any other direction. Well, this gentleman wanted all the glory. So he prepared for years to climb this mountain, but he wanted to do it solo so he could get the glory. He could receive all the praise for conquering this mountain. And so he started his climb and the problem was he did not think ahead about bringing gear so he could spend the night and camp out on the mountain as he made it. He thought he could just do it in a day. Well, darkness started to engulf the mountain and the higher elevation, you could feel the weight of the air being a little bit heavier. He proceeded to keep climbing up and he kept going in the dark. He couldn't see the moon. He couldn't see the stars. So he's making his way up and he gets to this point where he loses his grip and begins falling and he's falling he can feel the gravity rushing past him and then at just that moment he feels a yank on his body that almost breaks him in half because he was conscious enough to put in a spike and connect his rope to that spike just for these kind of situations so here he is hanging off the side of this mountain in the middle of the night well, the story goes that he cried out to God. He said, God, help me. And he heard that voice from God saying, what do you want me to do? And God, he told God, I want you to help me. I want you to save me. And so God asked the man this question, do you trust me? Yes, I trust you. And then he heard these words from God, let go of the rope. The man hung on and said, the story goes that when they found the man, he had froze to death, still holding on to this rope. The end of the rope was two feet from the ground. The story was, where was his faith? Did he trust God at all? We think about these kind of situations, think about this, and as followers of Jesus Christ, it's not a lack of faith that becomes the issue. It's more about a matter of fear taking over our belief in the fact that God is who he says he is and God will do what he says he will do. C.S. Lewis said this, faith is the art of holding on to things your, your reason once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Our moods, especially our emotions like fear and worry have such an influence that unless we grab control of those things and we master them, they will destroy our trust and they will destroy our sense of what is true. We tend to think about a lack of faith being theological or even biblical, but think about how often you and I demonstrate faith every day. Think about the faith it takes to climb into a metal tube to lift you 30,000 feet in the air going at 500 miles an hour. There is faith when you step onto that plane. There is faith in the guy who's controlling the plane. 
But think about this for a second. We think about flying, and it's a natural thing, but just by a show of hands, how many of you have a fear of flying, just out of curiosity? Okay, that's an honest thing. Listen, in our minds, that should not work. In our minds, there's no way that that tube can go up in the air and stay in the air. But we work on faith. But did you ever think about the terminology that they use in the airlines? Think about this for a second. We begin our flight and we end our flight at a terminal. If the doctor says the word terminal, that's not a good thing. But that's a word they use. How about this word? The flight attendant is reassuring you that we're going to make our destination as we make our final approach. So we're in a terminal. We're on final approach. And then this has always been my favorite for those of you who fly. You know, you, the plane lands and then you hear on the intercom, please stay in your seat till you, we've come to a complete stop. Is there such a thing as an incomplete stop? We think about these terms and we scratch our head, yet we get on planes and we're exercising faith every day. Listen, you and I put our faith in that pilot. We put our faith in the mechanics who've worked on the plane. I can remember years ago when I was in Alaska with the convention doing some Sunday school training, a group of us were flying down from Fairbanks down to Anchorage during the night and the plane backed up out of the terminal and it stopped. And then the pilot came over to intercom and she said that they couldn't leave yet because there was a problem with the seal around the door. Listen, I don't care how long it takes. I want to stay on the ground till you fix the seal around the door. Listen, that is just because we have a fear. We want things to work like they're supposed to. We want to put our trust in these things. And here's my thought for you. If you and I can put our faith in a pilot who's flying an airplane, I think we can put our faith in Jesus Christ. We can put our hope, we can put our assurance in who Jesus is and what he says he will do. This morning, we're looking at overcoming fear with faith. Overcoming fear with faith. Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 16 this morning. As we look in our, our foundational passage for this series and... I, you know, I shared a photo, yes, last night. I always try to share a photo of my Bible being ready for church and had it all marked. And I have to share with you that I added an extra tab this morning as I was looking on my notes again. So just bear with me this morning. But Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, we've been looking at what Paul has reminded us what we're to do as children of God, as believers. In verse 16, he simply makes this statement. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's interesting, just as a side note, in the New King James translation, it uses the phrase fiery darts. Other translations use fiery arrows. I saw flaming arrows. My, my favorite wording for this passage of scripture came from the Amplified Bible, and it used the phrase flaming missiles. I thought, yes, sometimes they feel like a dart. Sometimes they feel like an arrow. Sometimes they feel like a missile when Satan is throwing these things at us. 
But as we've been using this illustration, Paul's sharing with us this picture of a Roman soldier. And this morning, we're looking at that shield. Let me give you some information about that shield that the Roman soldier would have carried. That shield is about four feet tall, two and a half feet wide. It's made with leather stretched over wood. And it's reinforced with metal pads at the top and the bottom. That shield served multiple purposes because they would sometimes fight an enemy who would tip their points of their arrows into poison and then shoot them at who they were combating. So those soldiers needed that shield to protect them from those arrows because if that arrow nicked the soldier, even a nick could kill them because of the poison in the arrow. Sometimes they would take those shields and they would soak them in water because they would fight armies. They would put flames on the tip of those arrows and shoot fiery darts at them. So that Roman soldier used that shield for protection. He used it to have a purpose. If you think about this, of all the things we've talked about so far in this series, that shield serves a purpose. It protects us from what's coming at us. Because if you look at the scripture again, there's a purpose behind this shield. Verse 16 says, take up the shield of faith with which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. It's the hold off that attack that's coming at you from Satan. I like what Peter O'Brien, who's a New Testament scholar, he worded it this way. He said that every kind of attack launched by the devil and his host against the people of God they are as wide-ranging and include not only every kind of temptation to ungodly behavior, doubt, and despair, but also external assaults such as persecution or false teaching. If you know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you are going to spend your lifetime having to raise your shield to hold off what Satan is trying to throw at you, and not only Satan, but those who are under his control. And the only way you and I can protect ourselves is through faith. This is why John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. So the question this morning I want you to think about is how does faith work? And how does it overcome the attacks of the evil one? Because you and I must remember this, that faith involves more than belief. It involves so much more than belief. Scripture tells us over in James chapter 2, verse 19, that even the demons believe what is written in this word, and they tremble. But it takes more than just believing in it. It takes so much more that you have to grasp, that you have to understand it. I want to give you a formula this morning. It's not in your outline, but it's going to be on the screen behind me. Here's the simplest formula it's faith equals belief plus trust. It's belief plus trust. In other words, do I believe God is who he says he is? But more importantly, do I trust God is who he says he is? Because I can believe and not trust. And I can trust and not believe. But I get nowhere if I do one without the other. I must have belief that God is who he says he is but I must have trust in who he says he is because faith is that solid, unshakable confidence that God builds up around us to give us the assurance that he is going to fulfill his purposes. 
Faith is that moving forward. It's that demonstration of moving forward when the destination is not clear. Faith is knowing that God has promised what he says he will do, and it's almost as if it's already happened, even if we don't see it. So faith is the hope, that reality that you and I have as believers. Take your Bibles for a moment. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I'm going to tell you right this second, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want you to see what takes place. We're thinking about faith this morning. Hebrews chapter 11. Look at verse 1 with me. Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Think about that statement for just a moment coming from Scripture. It's a substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. I love how Mark Batterson puts it. He says, faith is not logical. It's not illogical either. Faith is theological. It's adding God to the equation. When we add God to the equation, things make a little more sense. Do we completely understand them? No. Will we ever be able to grasp them? No. If you read Hebrews chapter 11, and I would encourage you this week to read this chapter. Hebrews is known as the Faith Hall of Fame. In Hebrews chapter 11, you will read about risk takers, mold breakers, system shakers, but more importantly, you read about faith walkers. And we should strive to be like the end of we read in these passages in Hebrews chapter 11 because it's through their lives we learn what it means to have faith and what that faith looks like. Let me give you a rundown of what happens in chapter 11 this morning. Look at what faith does and listen to what faith does. Faith brings the proper sacrifice. Faith enables one to walk with God. Faith builds an ark when it has never rained before. Faith brings a journey of obedience despite not knowing the final destination. Faith dwells in tents in foreign countries. Faith looks for a city whose builder and maker is God. Faith gives mother strength to bear children when she is past the age of childbearing. Faith is being willing to sacrifice one's own son in obedience. Faith believes in the resurrection. Faith promises not to leave Joseph's bones in Egypt. Faith refuses to call the son of Pharaoh's daughter, to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Faith chooses to suffer affliction with God's people. Faith esteems the reproach of Christ as greater than the treasures of Egypt. Faith forsakes Egypt for the promised land. Faith passes through the Red Sea on dry ground. Faith walks around the city of Jericho until the walls fall down. Faith subdues kingdoms, works righteousness, obtains promises, stops the mouths of lions, quenches the violence of fire, escapes the edge of the sword, and turns the fight of armies against itself. Faith revives the dead back to life, and faith receives the promise. This is the example of faith we read in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, let me tell you right now, you can read chapter 11, and you think your faith will never be like this. We read Hebrews 11, and their faith is here, and your faith may be here. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. Your faith can grow. 
Your faith can grow as you walk with him. This was Paul's desire as he writes to the early churches. When he wrote to the Corinthians, his desire was to see them increase their faith. He wanted the believers in Thessalonica to be strengthened because of their lack of faith. In this second letter to the Thessalonians, he told them to grow in their faith. It's an amazing thing when you see faith exercised. It's an amazing thing when you see people growing in their faith. Take your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 7. I want to show you just real briefly two times when Jesus was amazed. There are two times in Scripture that Jesus was amazed. The first one is in Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 1. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one of whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I do not even think of myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant do this, and he does it. I want to pause right here for just a second. Here is this centurion, this Roman, who knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus has been doing, and he sends his servants because he does not feel worthy enough to stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. He doesn't feel worthy enough for Jesus to even come under his roof, but he tells Jesus through his servants, if you say the word, this servant who is dear to me, this servant who is almost close to dying will be healed. And you heard what his servant said about this man. He said that this man loves our nation. He has built us a synagogue. So he hears these words. Jesus hears these words about this man, this centurion, this foreigner, this Gentile. Then look at verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says this, when Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. Another word for marveled is amazed. Jesus was amazed by him. And then Jesus said this, he turned around, said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not seen such great faith, not even in Israel. Jesus sees the faith of the centurion and tells the crowd who's behind him, a crowd of Jews, a crowd of people who are from that town. He looks and says, you know what? I can't find greater faith in anybody else outside of this man. Jesus marveled at him. Jesus was amazed. The second time Jesus was amazed is over in Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, verse 6, if you want to write it down for a reference. 
Mark chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus is in Nazareth, his hometown where he grew up as a child. Nazareth, his home place, you would think there would be a lot of faith here. This is his people. This is his family. These are his friends. You would think their faith is strong here. But when you read Mark chapter 6, verse 6, he says, he marveled because of their unbelief. Again, the word marveled, we can put the word amazed. We see in both these passages, Jesus was amazed. He, but here's what you see in these two verses. Those who should have had faith didn't. And the one who shouldn't have had faith did. There, it was the opposite. The centurion should have not had any faith at all. Yet he's the one who's exercising the greatest faith when he calls out for Jesus to come to his home. And those who should have known better choose to not believe. If you want to amaze Jesus, and I wrote this down in my notes, you want to amaze Jesus, having faith in him is a great place to start. Do you have faith in him? Listen, if you and I are going to overcome our fears, overcome our failures, overcome our, our tendency to try to do things on our own, then we need to put our faith and trust in the one who can get us through the situation. We put our faith and strength and trust in him for this morning, the remainder of my time. Let me show you some ways you can grow in your faith, some different ways you can grow in your faith. Here's the first one. To grow our faith, we need preaching. To grow in our faith, we need preaching. A number of years ago, there was a book that came out called The Cross and the Switchblade. It's the story of the two most unlikeliest people in the whole world, a street preacher and a gang leader in the streets of New York. David Wilkerson was a street preacher. God had called him to lift and uproot his family from a small Midwest town and come to New York to share the gospel. And that's what he was going to do. So he's sharing the gospel, and that's when he runs into a young man named Nicky Cruz, who was part of a gang who made David's life miserable. There was one point where Nicky and his crew beat up David because he was preaching the gospel. But that did not stop David from proclaiming God's word. A number of months later, David Wilkerson is preaching in an arena. And Nikki and his boys showed up to try to disrupt things. And as they're sitting there, they're listening to David preach the word of God. And as David was preaching, he preached on the crucifixion and the love that led Jesus to the cross. And this is what Nikki Cruz, this hardened young man, said. That when David was preaching, he said this, I was choked up with pain and tears began to come down and more tears and I was fighting and then I surrendered. That night, Nikki's life changed. That night, a number of those gang members' lives changed because they heard the preaching of God's word. The story goes that some of those gang members took their weapons to the local police station to turn them in and gave up that life. Nikki has gone on to become an evangelist. He continues to preach God's word. But what would have happened had he not heard a sermon that night? 
What would have happened if he had never heard God's word proclaimed? Because if he does not hear God's word, he will never place his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So we need preaching. Take your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. This is why we need preaching. This is why you need to hear God's word proclaimed. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, not just hearing anything, but hearing the word of God. Now notice what Paul's not saying. Paul's not saying that all who hear the word of God believe. He's saying that faith can't exist unless there is a message or someone to report the facts and events that lead to one believing. This is the statement I put in your outline. The preaching of the word is the catalyst God uses to grow our faith. If you never sit under the preaching of God's word, you are never going to grow in your faith. You're never going to grow in your walk with him. When you sit under the preaching of God's word, it gives us an opportunity to receive something from God and be moved by it. Listen, my prayer as I stand behind this sacred desk is you don't sit in your pew and think, man, that's a pretty talk he's doing. I don't want you to be here because of a personality. I want you to be here because you're hearing God's word proclaimed. I don't care who it is standing behind this desk. It's the hearing of God's word is why we're gathered together. Because here's the second statement in your outline. When we hear the word of God or read the word of God and then respond to the word of God, our faith grows. When God tells us to do something and we do it, our faith is strengthened. And because our faith is strengthened, then our ability to believe in him continues to grow. And we discover what it means to be a child of God, what it means to spend time in his word, what it means to grow in our faith. So to grow our faith, we need preaching. You need to hear God's word on a regular basis, not just once a week, not just once a month, not only on special holidays, but there ought to be a number of times to listen to God's word. Listen, I know a number of you sitting here this morning are fans of particular preachers like Charles Stanley, Adrian Rogers. There's nothing wrong with listening to those men on a regular basis because every time you hear the preaching of God's word, it's an opportunity to grow in your walk. That's my encouragement to you. If you want to grow in your faith, you listen to preaching. But here's my warning. Don't listen to just any preaching. You listen to men who preach the boldness of God's word, not their opinion. The biggest pet peeve I used to have, not that I have a whole lot of them, but one of my biggest pet peeves would be to sit under somebody preaching who never opened their Bible and just work through some notes. Every time I stand up here, this is going to be open. 
There's a reason why I mark it. Because I want you to see it for yourselves. I don't want you to take my opinion. You know why? I'm human. And if you ask my family, yes, I make a mistake every now and then. I want you to see it for yourselves. So that's how we grow in our faith. We grow through preaching. Here's the second way we grow. We grow our faith to grow our faith. You're going to love this. We need problems. You and I need problems. It can be one. It can be four. It can be 99, but you need problems. With problems, now listen, let's be honest. We do not like problems. We don't want problems. We want our life to be smooth and unruffled, no turbulence, just pretty beautiful days, the sun shining. We don't want the storms that come in life. But as you study scripture, we learn that we sometimes have to have these storms in our lives. We have to have these moments. Because here's what I've learned in my walk with the Father, and I made this statement, and it's in your outline this morning. The problems we face drive us to the Lord and teach us to lean on Him. The problems and the storms that I'm facing drive me to Him. They make me want to come to Him, and they make me want Him to teach me something through this. That should be our desire Tim Keller talks about a conversation he had with a man. This man was fixing to lose everything. He was going to lose his business. He was going to lose his family. He was going to lose it all. And he made this statement to Dr. Keller, and he said this, I always knew in principle that Jesus is all I need to get through. But you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And when you get to that point, that's when it becomes even a little bit clearer. You don't realize how much you need Jesus until you come to that moment when all you have is Jesus. And that should remind us, listen, but here's the problem. We have this default tendency within us to try to do things on our own and try to lean on our own understanding. And in our minds, when we encounter a problem that is so big that we can't handle, we try to work on, use our resources and when we try to do things on our own, guess what? We are inadequate. We can't do it apart from Jesus walking with us. And it's until we stop trying to do it ourselves and turn everything over to him that that light bulb comes on in our mind and realize that God is everything we need, but that God uses our problems. God uses those storms we walk through to deepen our faith and trust in him. Life's most challenging and fearful situations can be our best opportunities to realize God's strength. Ideally, yes, when we're in a storm, we should want to instinctively reach out to Jesus. He should be the first resort, not the last. But guess what? It doesn't matter whenever you turn to him. If he's not the first, second, third, fourth, or tenth resort, even if he's the last resort, he still rejoices with you because you've turned to him. So when we have problems, we turn to our father. I read this story about a man named Mark Ashton Smith. He's a professor at Cambridge University, and he was taking his kayak off the Isle of Wight, which is in the south part of England. And it's a beautiful waterway. He's in his kayak, and the kayak tips over, 
and he realizes he can't flip it back up the way it's supposed to. So now he's in trouble. He's in the middle of his body of water, stuck. Well, he retrieves his phone, and instinctively, he calls his father. He's in trouble as a child. Who do you call out to? Your father or even your mother. In this case, he's calling his father, but here's the catch. His father is 3,500 miles away in Dubai, and he's stuck in this body of water. But instinct said, I need to call my dad to help me. So he got in touch with his father. His father, in turn, called the rescue station that was closest to him, which happened to be about a mile away. So in 12 minutes, the helicopter showed up to rescue this man. But instinctively, it was for him to call his father. Here's the reminder I see in this story, in this illustration. Our instinct when we are in the storm, our instinct when we are having problems should be to call our heavenly father first and have him help us through the situation. So to grow our faith, we need preaching to grow our faith. We need problems to grow our faith. We need people. We need people to grow our faith. It's interesting. We're talking about the shield of faith this morning back in Ephesians chapter 6. It's interesting that when you see these soldiers, we think about that soldier by himself holding that, that shield. But what you see in depicted in movies is the soldiers would work together. It wasn't a soldier by himself, but you would see in situations like on the picture behind, they would interlock their shields to protect each other. The formation you see behind me is called the tortoise formation. Because those men are behind that shield, they're protected, and they're covered by what's taking place. And it's not one soldier standing by himself. It's a group of men standing together to protect each other. And one author makes this interesting point. When you think about that image, and then go back to Ephesians chapter 6, thinking about, talking about the shield of faith. And here was his observation. And use this picture behind me to make this a little bit clearer. He says this, this is the shield of faith, which by design is interlocked with the soldier next to you. This is the shield of faith utilized in community, the community of faith in our spiritual battles, as it is true in any combat environment, there is no room for the lone ranger. But if you expect to be protected, you've got to stick together with the group. March as a group. Live like a family. Notice none of those soldiers in the picture behind me are acting like the Lone Ranger. Listen, does God strengthen you on your own? Yes. But God gives you even more strength when you're walking with other believers. And listen, we should never neglect the benefit of being within community, walking with people who are desired who desire to be with us, help us, guide us, lead us as we're struggling. You need people to grow your faith. Take your Bibles. Turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. This is one of the best examples of what this looks like, how growing faith with people, how we grow our faith with we need people in our lives. Mark chapter 2. It's a familiar passage. You're going to know it the minute you turn there. But I want you to see what takes place in this passage. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. 
Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him carrying a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they came, they could not come near him because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Notice that Jesus doesn't say because of your faith, because of a few. He says because of their faith. I believe he's talking about the faith of the man who's paralyzed, but the faith of his four friends. These four friends knew Jesus was where he was. They knew Jesus could heal their friend, and nothing was going to stop them from getting their friend to Jesus Christ, even if it meant tearing up the roof of a house to get their friend to Jesus. And Jesus sees their faith, not just an individual person's faith. We see the faith in action. We see the faith of the sick individual. We see the faith of the friend's you know why we see their faith? Because they have that shield and they're locked together. Because the paralytic couldn't get there by himself. One man couldn't carry him. Two probably could but struggle. Three can get by, but every man had a corner on that pallet they were carrying their friend on. They interlocked their shields together because they're demonstrating their faith. Their concern for this individual. Our faith grows when we see it acted out in individuals. John Wesley, John Wesley was making his first voyage to the United States in January 25th of 1736. As he's sailing across the Atlantic, the ship had come across a number of storms. The fourth one was the worst. The fourth storm was so bad that many on the boat thought they were going to lose their lives. John Wesley is like many of them on the boat. He's panicking. He is fearful for his life. But on this boat was also a group of missionaries from Germany. And as everybody else is literally losing their mind, these missionaries are under in the boat having church. They're singing hymns. They're worshiping God in the midst of this horrible storm. The boat survived the storm. The boat made it to its destination. But what John Wesley saw was the faith of these individuals, the men, the women, the children. At no moment were they afraid of what was going on around them because their focus was on God. Their focus was on worship. And at that moment, John Wesley knew that they had something that he didn't have. At that moment, he knew they had faith in God where he just had maybe a little bit of belief in God. We're told that two years later, John Wesley found that genuine faith that he saw those German missionaries have in a church service over in London. And John Wesley would go on to become one of the pillars of the faith because of his walk with the Father. But notice this, it was because he saw faith demonstrated in other people. 
And here's the reminder, and here's what it is in your outline. God never intended for people to follow Christ alone. Do you make an individual decision to accept him? Yes. You asking Jesus to be Lord and Savior, that is an individual thing. But nowhere else in Scripture does it say that you're to walk by yourself, that you're to walk alone. Our faith should be contagious because when our faith is strong, our walk is strong. And listen, some of you this morning, God may be calling you to walk along someone else whose faith is not as strong as yours, to be an encourager, to motivate them, to help them along. That may be your call this morning. For some of you, it may be reversed. For some of you, your faith may not feel very strong. Your faith may actually feel weak this morning. God's calling you to walk along someone whose faith is strong so you can learn from them, so you can grow along with them and get that encouragement. Again, none of us are called to be a lone ranger when it comes to being a Christian, when it comes to our walk with him. Listen, is the walk going to be difficult? Yes. It gets a little bit easier when you're walking with other believers. So to grow our faith, you need people. Here's the next point. To grow our faith, we need purpose. We need purpose. Do you know what your purpose is this morning? Do you know why God has placed you where he's placed you? I think about purpose. I think about an individual. His name is Daniel Ritchie. There's a picture of him on the screen. Daniel was born with no arms. As a child, he learned how to use his feet and his toes to dress himself, to groom himself, to feed himself, open doors. He even uses just his feet to drive. I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I want to ride with him, but I would just one time to see how he does it. I'm really fascinated. But here's his story. When he was a kid, people picked on him. When he was a child, he was made fun of. One time in a restaurant, his family was asked to leave the restaurant because some of the customers got upset because he was using his feet to hold his fork to eat. And as you can imagine, he became discouraged. He became to a point where he didn't like anyone. He didn't have a lot of friends. But one night, a classmate invited him to come to church. As he came to church that evening, the pastor had prepared a short devotional. And the passage the pastor read, read that night comes out of Psalms 139, verse 14. And this is what Daniel heard that evening. In Psalm 139, verse 14, it says this. You, for, you formed my inward parts. You covered my face my mother's womb, verse 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He heard God's word proclaimed that night. He heard God's word tell him, who's born with no arms, that he was fearfully and wonderfully made by a heavenly father who loves him. That night, Daniel asked God to be his Lord and Savior. Daniel was penetrated by hearing the word of God proclaimed to him. Remember my first point, you need preaching to grow in your faith. He hears God's word proclaimed. His life is changed. He realized at that moment, listening to verse 14, the fact that he was fearfully and wonderfully made 
that God had a purpose for him. Daniel's purpose was to proclaim God's word to others. Daniel preaches at youth conventions. He preaches in revivals. He is proclaiming God's word. That night he gave his life to him. And this is a statement Daniel says. Daniel says that he uses his empty sleeves to point people to God. God gave him a purpose. God gives us a purpose, but it requires our trust in him to trust him in ways we don't understand, in ways we cannot see. Think about the disciples for a moment who are following Jesus. Think about the number of times Jesus challenged them, the number of times Jesus gave them a task to do. Remember, he sent them out two by two to preach and cast out demons. Think about being one of those disciples when Jesus says, hey, we're going to feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Or we're going to feed 4,000 with seven loaves and just a few fish there. This is demonstration of faith. This is a demonstration of purpose. When Jesus came to this earth, he was sent to proclaim the good news to show us our purpose. In your outline, I made this statement. Giving us a sense of purpose is his way of stretching and strengthening our faith muscles. When God shows you purpose for you, listen, I can promise you it will stretch you and it will strengthen you. Listen, I can speak only for myself this morning. In the last 11 months, I've seen God stretch me and I've seen God strengthen me. Because my trust, my faith, my hope is placed in him alone. Not understanding the who, what, where, why, and when, and how. But it's because of who he is and what he does. So we grow our faith through this. But here's the next one. To grow our faith, we need perspective. To grow our faith, we need perspective. Take your Bibles, turn over to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. I want to put faith into perspective this morning. Luke chapter 17, verses 5 and 6. Luke 17, verse 5. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. As a side note, let me tell you something something right now. Be careful what you ask for when you ask God to do something. The disciples look at Jesus and say, increase our faith. And look what Jesus says in the next verse, verse 6. So the Lord said, if you have the faith as a mustard seed, you can say to the mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Jesus is telling his disciples after they asked him to increase their faith, he answered him by telling him, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, look at the photo. This is a mustard seed. He says, if you just exercise this much faith, he's not saying a bucket worth of faith. He's not telling you to exercise 12 feet of faith. He says the faith of a mustard seed. If you exercise just that much faith, you can tell a mulberry tree where to go. It's all about perspective. The issue, listen to me, the issue is not the size of your faith, it's the size of your God. 
How big do you believe your God really is? That's where faith comes in. Because no matter how small or insufficient you think your faith is, keep praying and trusting and seeking the Lord. You keep seeking him. You keep praying. You keep trusting. Listen, the object of our faith is in an almighty God. But it's not a size of your faith that's important. It's the object of your faith. If you go back, if you go back to Hebrews chapter 11, he talks about these people I read about earlier, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, fixing our eyes on what we haven't seen. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read about individuals who knew there was a God, but they couldn't see the finish line. But they still trusted him no matter what. It's all about faith. It's all about perspective. Think about Noah for a moment. Noah's the biggest one in my mind right now. Noah lives in the middle of desert. God says, build a big boat where it's never rained before. Perspective. Noah does what God says, and he trusted him. Did he understand it? No. But he trusted God in all things. It's about seeking him and coming to him, not knowing all the answers. That's when our perspective changes. I read a story about a general, a, a Marine, U.S. Marine general named Charles Herlach. Charles Herlach was leading the initial forces into the Gulf War before it actually started. And the, we're told that every Sunday he went to chapel to pray. Now, he was part of that first group that went in before the rest of the forces came in. But every Sunday he's in chapel and he's being specific. He's praying for a miracle. Here's the miracle he's praying for. He's in the driest desert in the world. And he's praying that God would show him a way to find 100,000 gallons of water a day to support 25,000 soldiers. He's praying for a water source. The engineers from the Marine Corps have been drilling and drilling and drilling and could not find water. And they're just a few weeks away from the entire force, military force coming to start what was known as the Gulf War. And here's this general in chapel praying and praying and praying. But on Sunday, February 20, 1991, as he is praying, and he is praying for this miracle before Operation Desert Storm ever starts, he's interrupted by a colonel. So here's this general in the chapel. He's praying for a miracle. This colonel shows us his general, you need to see something. You need to come to me right now. And the general said, well, what is it? The colonel said, you're not going to believe me if I tell you. You need to see it with your own eyes. So they get into a vehicle, and they drove around the base perimeter, and they come across this well that they had never seen before, that none of them had put into the ground. Here is this well just here. So the general walks up to the well, and he sees the contraption. He sees the device, and he sees, thank goodness, a button. He pushes the button on this well, and it starts producing water. So he brings the engineers over to see how much water is this well producing. When the engineers came over, this is what they said. You're not going to believe it, sir. This well is putting out 100,000 gallons of water a day. 
this was the miracle. This is what they needed to finish their task. This is what they needed to do what they had to do. Listen, you and I may never need to find a well that produces 100,000 gallons of water. We may never have to do that. But every day we need to pick up our shield of faith. We pick it up together because when you pick up that shield of faith, your perspective changes because now you understand why you're picking up that shield. That shield is a result of hearing God's word. It's a result of knowing without that shield, you're going to have problems you can't handle. It's knowing that you have people to walk alongside you. It's knowing that you can handle what's coming your way. And here's the reminder for us. The problems we face, they're not big or small in God's sight. God doesn't see a problem as big. He doesn't see a problem as small. He sees a problem and wants us to come to him to call out to him. So our perspective needs a little enlarging to see that our God is capable of responding to the faith we have this morning. In order to grow your faith, you need preaching, you need problems, you need people, you need purpose, you need perspective. And it all starts when we shift our focus from self and shift it to a God who loves us, a God who calls us to place our complete trust in him, a God who sent his son to die for our sins. And because we acknowledge he died for our sins, our faith can grow. And when our faith grows, you and I are, over, are able to overcome fear with faith. But it starts by having a relationship with the Father through the Son. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, to be an overcomer, it starts by having a relationship with the one who is already the ultimate overcomer. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross for our sins, he overcame death in the grave. For you and for me, we pick up that shield of faith every day. It's a reminder that that shield of faith is what we use to grow in our walk. So we need to hear the preaching of God's word. We need to have problems in our life because when we face problems, that's where our faith is tested. That's also where our faith can grow. We need people to walk alongside us or there may be people that we're called to walk alongside us. We need to understand our purpose as a believer and we understand that our perspective changes when we take it off of self and put it on God. This morning, where are you in your faith walk? Where do you need to grow in one of the areas I shared this morning? Do you need more preaching? Do you need to understand that the problems you may be facing, you're not called to walk by yourself? Do you need others to walk alongside you? Do you need to understand your purpose as a child of God. Or maybe this morning, it's just your perspective needs to change from self to being on the things of God. Father, this morning, as we come to you in the sacred moment, Father, I pray, pray for hearts open and receptive to you. Father, that you would speak to us as individuals. And Father, in one of these areas we may have mentioned this morning, may you call it to our attention as a reminder of an area we need to be growing in our faith. That, Father, we take up the shield of faith we read about in Ephesians chapter 6. But, Father, we don't take that shield up by ourselves. 
we take it up alongside other believers. Father, may that be our reminder. Right now, I pray that you just move in a mighty way. And most importantly, during this time of response, that your will would be done in all things. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Let's all stand.